0: Our reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. This is God's word.
1: Thank you, Sarah. And good morning, everybody. My name is Pete. I'm assistant minister here. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. And we pray that you bless each and every one of us here this morning as we look at your word for a few very precious moments. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you without exaggeration, the most important thing you will hear this week. It is more important, what the Bible says to us this morning, than who designed Megan's dress. Hard to believe, I know, but it is more important than that. It is more important than what car Harry was driving when he went to the evening reception yesterday, although it was a really cool car. It is more important than who won the FA Cup although that was an enjoyable time yesterday as well. It is more important than all of those things. I would say, without exaggeration, and I think it's the most important thing you'll hear in your life. But I want to let you be the judge of that as we read the scriptures together. It's this. Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming back. The second coming that the scriptures talk about is going to happen. What the Old Testament prophets called the day of the Lord, it was the phrase that they come up with to talk about Jesus, uh, sorry, they weren't talking necessarily about Jesus Christ, but when they talked about the Lord bringing justice to the world, they said the day of the Lord is coming and it will happen. And now as New Testament Christians we get to say the day of the Lord is still coming and it's Jesus Christ his second coming. It will come. This was the thing that kept the Thessalonian church going. If you've been here the last few weeks, do you you remember they were a church filled with a lot of hope? And there's a lot of hope reminders in this letter. And it kept them going in the grind and the difficulties of daily life. They knew with absolute certainty that these reinforcements were coming. It was therefore the one thing that ultimately made their Christian life worth living. Because they knew, they knew that he was coming. They gave up temporary pleasure. They didn't mind being mocked. They didn't mind working hard with their hands or uh, not cheating in their work life. They didn't mind changing their sexual ethic. They were all outweighed, as far as the Thessalonians were concerned, by the fact that Jesus Christ was coming back and eternity was going to be different because of it. For me this week, as I've pondered coming here this week to be one of the few people in London who stands up and says, Jesus Christ is coming, for me, I've begun to wonder whether this is actually something I really, really truly believe. It's possible to sort of pay lip service to it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's coming. He will come. For me personally, this is a, this is a challenge. The Thessalonians, they were a bit like a rower. You, know, you can picture the boat race on the River Thames. They were, they were rowers, and they were just rowing hard for the line. They knew that this was costing them. It was tiring. It was difficult they would have a lot of an easier time now if they could just do something different. But they were rowing hard for the line because they knew it was coming. Jesus Christ would come soon. I am perfectly aware that there's a lot of skepticism in the world today about this sermon. I know. I mean, you try going into your office this week when you're, I don't know, having a meeting. Should we plan next year's uh, diary at work? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, let's do that. Just remember, guys. Just remember, colleagues. Uh, Let's plan that Jesus Christ may return first. (laughs) I wonder (laughs) what sort of look they would give you. See what reaction. I think um, just on the surface of it as we begin, there are three things which make me think this is not so silly after all. The Big Bang, Justice and Jesus, they all make me think this is not so silly. Uh, First of all, these are sort of in order of importance, increasing importance. First of all, the Big Bang. I mean, most people in our society today would say the universe was formed with some sort of Big Bang moment. Something. Boom! Something happened and everything was set in motion. That sounds like a total miracle, something extraordinary to me. I don't think it's so silly to think that the universe might suddenly come to a big finish in a big way didn't have to sort of fizzle out with entropy forever. We tend to believe it started big, so why can't it finish big? Big bang. Secondly, I think justice, everyone tends to want justice. And the day of the Lord in the Bible is described as a day of justice. When the longing of my heart that every little wrong that's been committed, and especially every big wrong, will be righted by the Lord, everything that the police and the law courts couldn't catch will finally be satisfied Every injustice that my family or friends or I myself have suffered will be righted. And everything I don't even know about because it's taken place in far flung corners of the world will finally be put right. That's going to be a day of justice that I really want in the world. So there's the big bang, there's justice. And then thirdly, there's Jesus. People tend to like a lot of stuff that Jesus said. You ever notice that? They love it when he says things like, love your neighbor. Turn the other cheek. Take the plank out of your own eye before you criticize others. They love it when he says, uh, faith can move mountains, or don't cast your pearls before swine. Just get a bit less keen, people tend to, when Jesus talks about the day of the Lord, which is a problem, because he talks about it a lot. I spent 10 minutes this week going through all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just seeing how often Jesus talked about the day of the Lord. Matthew taught, uh, beg your pardon, Matthew 24, verse 30. I won't read it all out to you. Uh, Matthew 24, 42. Matthew 24, 50. Uh, into Mark, chapter 8, at the bottom of the uh, page. I think we can go on. Mark 13, 26. Luke 21, 34. John 12, 48. Acts 1, verse 7. It's even there in the book of Acts. This is just 10 minutes I spent leafing through the Gospels. If you like what Jesus said, Paul says, you Thessalonian Christians, you guys in Greece, you know this stuff. You, you've been taught this already. If you were here last week, um, we looked at the end of chapter 4, and... This was, that was fresh teaching. That was about what happens if you die before Jesus comes. And it felt like they, they really didn't know that before. Chapter 5, he says, you know this very well. If you've got the Bible open, chapter 5, verse 1. Now you, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come. It will come. Literally, that means you know perfectly well. You know this. It will come. It will. Chances are, if you've been at Christchurch Mayfair any length of time, you know the day of the Lord will come. You know it. This is not new news to you this morning. I think my challenge personally is, is do I believe it? And in particular, am I ready for it? That's what I want to talk to you about. Are we ready for it? Let's just break this down. to Two things. Paul says the day will come Suddenly. But the day need not surprise you. First of all, the day will come suddenly. Verses 1 to 3. Let's read again. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. It will come suddenly, you see, like a thief in the night or like a pregnant woman. You, you cannot calculate the day of the Lord. That's the thing. It, it comes suddenly. Don't go down to paddy power and put a bet on it. You can't calculate it. You can't take bets on it. You can't plan your holidays around it. It's designed to come suddenly. He says it's like a thief in the night. Have you ever had that experience of having something stolen in the middle of the night? Uh, a bike a car, uh, having your house broken into. He says, it'll be like that when you're not expecting it. Three times while I've lived in London, I've had my bike stolen at night. And uh, I've had that experience of walking out of my front door, uh, everything's a perfectly normal day, and then suddenly there's the bike lock that has been cut, severed and just left in in front of my front door. And uh, as you begin to think, this is not very normal, You look around for the bike and realize it's not there. I went to bed the night before. Everything was very, very normal. I had a feeling. People have told me there are bike thieves in London. There are bike thieves. They might get your bike one day. And yet, looking down at the severed lock, that's the feeling that tells me, ah, they came in the night. They came in the night. It's too late now. So you can't calculate for a thief coming in the night. They come when you're not expecting them. There is a sort of school of thought in some churches where, you, where there, there are sort of calculations that try to be made. Uh, I, I discovered this week, there is something called the Rapture Index. Uh, here we go. I think we've got it on our screens. It, it's a website, you can visit it for yourself. The Rapture Ready Index, it gives you a, a number, a bit, a bit like the um, stock index. And it tells you how ready are we. For the Lord to come, and all of these categories that you probably can't read. You know, how's the economy doing? What are the interest rates? What's the oil supply like? How is the arms proliferation going? Uh, What are the false prophets like? And how is the war in the Middle East? All of these things. We are told in the Bible that they are factors that may give us some indication of what's going on in the world. But it will be like a thief in the night, it will come suddenly. So, very silly to have a index to tell me how soon it is. But it will come. Verse 3, don't get lulled into saying peace and safety. That seems to be some sort of um, play on words that Paul is having. There was a, there was a phrase in the Roman world, uh, peace and security, and you could equally translate it peace and security. Pax et securitas, if you were speaking Latin. And pax et securitas is one of these great slogans of the Roman Empire. If you're a Roman citizen, pax et securitas. You are safe and we bring peace to our mighty army. Look at our weapons, they would say. Look at our economy. Look at our standard of living. It's better than we've ever had in the whole world, ever. Exactly. And it is while I'm saying pax et securitas, the thief may come in the night. While people are saying, uh, Ikea and John Lewis. While they're saying barbecues and sunny bank holidays. While they're saying economic growth at home and holidays abroad. The thief may come in the night. Or Paul changes the metaphor in verse 3. He says, it, it will come a bit like labor pains on a pregnant woman. And they will not escape there will come on a day when you don't necessarily expect to uh, start contractions and it will happen. Uh, I, I imagine that um, any babies who are born this week, there, there may have been a day where Yos and Engie thought, Oh, uh, it started and from now on it will happen. It is coming. And there will be no escape on that day. You, know, you and I, we live in a culture which is is not just a bit sleepy about the day of the Lord. It doesn't even know it's pregnant. The church must hold on to this fact that the day of the Lord will come. It will, it will, it will. Verse 3 is actually more emphatic than it even comes across. The Verse 3, where it says, uh, as labour pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. That ought to be a sort of emphatic negative, they certainly will not escape. And the church must hold on to that. Jesus Christ came the first time, and he will come the second time. Can I say, without most seriousness, this is talking about judgment, justice for the whole world, wrath, as verse 9 calls it, when God is angry for the things people have done. It's God exercising his owner's rights on the planet. So he comes and says, hey, I made all of this. You guys just thought you could do what you want, and now it's time to bring some justice. That's what we're talking about that day. It's taking the world to task. And it is very easy for God to send people out of the world into punishment just as easy as he brought us into the world. Think of it this way. God promised a lot of stuff in the Bible, and all of it's come true apart from this one thing. So God made a sort of promise in the Bible when he spoke to creation, you know, let there be light, that's a sort of promise, and sure enough, there was light. God made a promise in the beginning of the Bible that if you took the fruit from the tree, Adam and Eve, that you'd get punished for it, and sure enough, they did get punished for it. God made a promise early on in the Bible that uh, he was going to flood the world. And sure enough, there was a flood on the world. God made a promise at that day that he was going to save Noah and his family. And sure enough, Noah and his family were saved. God made a promise to Abraham and his family. He said, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to make promises to you. And you're going to have offspring who will bless the world. And sure enough, he gave them land, made them a blessing and gave them offspring. God made a promise to Jacob and his family and said, "I'm going to, even though you're going to go through some hardships in Egypt, I'm going to bring you back to the land and I'm going to give it to you. And sure enough, after 400 years in Egypt, he gave them the land. God made a promise to Israel and he said, look, if you want a king, I'll give you a king. And sure enough, he gave them a king. God made a promise and he said, look, Israel, if you don't keep my law... I'm going to send you out of the land into exile. And sure enough, he sent them into exile. God made a promise about a a Messiah king who was going to come and he was going to be perfect and he was going to bring the spirit of the Lord. He was somehow going to be the savior who bore our sins and was pierced for our transgression. And sure enough, that person came. God made a promise he was going to send the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And sure enough, he sent the Holy Spirit. God made a promise that the day of the Lord would finally come. He made a promise that all the injustices in the world were going to be righted by him personally. And it's the one thing that's outstanding. God made a promise. The day of the Lord will come. Did you watch the royal wedding yesterday? Probably. It was fantastic, wasn't it? No one, no one does pageantry like the Brits. All those, all those horses trotting down through Windsor. What a day. And at the royal wedding, there was a great sermon, I thought. It was a good sermon where that uh, American bishop extolled love in marriage. He was very winsome. Managed to talk about Jesus Christ and his redeeming love and how Jesus comes to save the world. I thought it was streets ahead of many of the sermons I've ever heard on TV. I'm very glad that all those people got to hear it. Therefore, I ventured this very carefully indeed because I wouldn't have wanted to be him. Wouldn't have wanted to have 14 minutes to preach to 1.9 billion people. No, sir, thank you very much. But if we only ever talk about the love of God, which everyone can nod along to, by the way, and we never talk about the day of the Lord, that is half a gospel. This is an extraordinary thing that the church believes, that Jesus Christ is going to come again but I, I refuse to be cowed or, or mocked or ridiculed by anyone who thinks it's ridiculous because I would want to say, "Well, <laughs> you ever thought about Jesus' first coming? It is historical. It is remarkable. It's utterly compelling, this man Jesus, who said all these sorts of things that you love. Let me just tell you about some of the other things he said. That day will come very suddenly indeed. Secondly, more briefly, the day need not surprise you. Verses four to eleven. Have a look. Verse four. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Don't need to be surprised, Christians. Which which can at first sound a bit strange, can't it? Uh, I, I thought it was going to come like a thief. So that's by by its very nature rather surprising. No, no, no. You don't need to be surprised. It, in the sense that this is not about times and dates. It's not about a rapture index or trying to calculate when it's going to happen. It's about being ready because you know he's definitely coming. Being ready. I had a friend come to visit me this week. um, He's a good friend of mine from Theological College. He's coming down from Glasgow where he lives and he was in town for a retirement party. So he said, look, Pete, I know this is a bit cheeky, but I'm, I'm going to this party. I'm just in and out for the night. Can I stay at your place? I'll probably arrive at 11 p.m. and leave at 8 a.m. Is that okay? Yeah, fine. You're a good friend. Come on, come on. I don't mind. Uh, I totally forgot. <laughs> you know, I wrote it in my diary, and he was coming. We spoke in the week before, 5555. Five, five, five. Uh, on the day, it was just a busy day. Totally forgot. Uh, I even switched my phone off that evening. Uh, which I don't normally do, but I was enjoying an evening off. Turned the phone off, uh, went to bed. I- 11.45 p.m. Slightly later than advertised, but still within the realms of uh, reasonableness because he'd given me warning, the doorbell went. <laughs> Who's that? Who's that? Oh, no. I look in through the peephole. Oh, no. <laughs> Craig. Craig. <laughs> Of course, he said he was coming tonight. It's tonight. It's tonight. It's tonight. Scrabbling for the key to unlock the door. Oh crumbs! I haven't got time to change. Hi, mate. Hi. Hi. My hair's all sticking up everywhere. You know, There's a slobber on my face. Oh, I've evidently been asleep. He was like, "Hey, pal. <laughs> come in. Come in." I'm so embarrassed. So embarrassed. I'd, you're a good friend. I totally forgot you were coming. You came from Scotland to stay with me. I totally forgot. I had a very sleepy cup of tea with him and tried to make it up to him. Uh, how embarrassing to do that to a friend. How embarrassing. If, if, if you raise the stakes. I mean, what if your boss is coming to stay? Can, can I come and stay with you? I'm just in town for a short while. Can I come and stay? Ooh. I totally forgot my boss was coming. Ooh, ooh. That feels like a debt you've got to pay. How embarrassing to get to the last day. Jesus Christ, yes, you did tell me you were coming. How, I've just been sleeping. I've just been biding my time. I I wasn't ready. How embarrassing. Verses 4 to 11. You, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. as if we're still living, or we're asleep, that is, we've already died, like we heard last week, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. You see, so the way we get ready for Jesus' coming is not by knowing the exact time or date, it's by just behaving like we belong to the day. Holy behavior. i put it at the bottom of your service sheets here. Children of the day, They exhibit daytime behavior. They're already saved, justified, sanctified, soon to be glorified. So they they exhibit this daytime behavior. They they behave in a holy way. Children of the night, they're unprepared. They're just doing whatever. They're cruising through life, taking it easy, taking whatever pleasure they can get because they're not ready for Jesus to knock on the door. He puts it very interestingly uh, in verse 8. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So put on your godly behavior, Christians, like armor. Strap on faith and love every day. And put on the hope of salvation as a helmet. Put that on because that will secure you all the way through and on that day. Do you remember chapter 3, verse 6? There was an interesting little phrase. Timothy gets back from Thessalonica. He brings Paul this fantastic, encouraging report of the Thessalonian Christians. And he says, their faith and their love are brilliant. They are really going great guns. And it's interesting that he says, put on your breastplate as you are doing, seems to be the sense of it. Your faith and love, can't fault it. And then he singles out the hope of salvation and it's as if to say, don't forget that, guys. Don't forget that, the helmet that is your hope of salvation. It doesn't make any sense if you're not longing for Jesus Christ to come back. There are some people who are okay with wearing their bike helmets all the time, aren't they? You know those sorts of people? Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit too self-conscious, probably a bit too vain to wear my bike helmet unless I'm just about to get off my, on my bike or if I'm just about to get off it. But there are those unique creatures in the world of whom I, uh, to whom I salute. And you know, they are totally willing to wear their bike helmet when they're sort of on the way out of the house, but they're not quite there yet. Or you know they're still having a, a conversation in the office, but they're going to get on the bike soon, and they'll just talk to you with their bike helmet. <laughs> totally unselfconscious. I've just got a bit more photocopying to do. I'll just do it in my bike helmet, and then I'll go. I salute you guys. I think that's terrific. You, you don't care what people think of you. Jesus Christ said, forgive me, this is the only, this is the only helmet I normally ever wear. So here's your illustration. Jesus Christ says, Christians, you put on your helmet every day. And if you look stupid to the world, you wear your helmet. Because I'm telling you, this is the thing. This is the hope of salvation which will get you through not, not just this life, but also that day, the day of the Lord. Christians are told to go about... Uh, faith and love and the hope of salvation. My Savior, you see, he told me to wear this. He told me to put this on until he gets back. It's the thing that makes sense of the world. So I'm going to wear it. We've got a family situation in my extended family at the moment, which is is causing us some pain, there's... Uh, more than one member of our extended family who are taking objection to Christianity. In particular, there's this one particular aspect of Christian belief. They cannot abide. And there are arguments and tears in our extended family at the moment about this Christian belief. And you know, what what Sarah and I realized recently is it does come down to this. You believe that people can do whatever they want in the world, And everyone should be free to do whatever they want. As long as it's not harming anybody, you go for it. And with tears in our eyes, we are saying, it comes down to this, because I believe that Jesus Christ is coming back, and I cannot do whatever I want. Because Jesus Christ has the right to judge the world, and I don't. So with tears in my eyes, I wear the hope of salvation as a helmet. I believe he's coming back, but they will come. And even to the closest family, I have to say... I. I can't agree with you on that. Finally, did you see how verses 9 and 10 are full of comfort? God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. I know this can sound a little bit scary, today's sermon. I'm talking about the day of the Lord. I'm talking about judgment. I'm even talking about disagreeing with people we love. This is full of hope because God says, you you put my armor on, you you do what I've told, told you, trust in Jesus Christ, you will be utterly safe because I've appointed you for salvation through Jesus Christ. He's died for you so that you can live. And verse 11, finally, well... Look, that sounds a little bit tame if you just take it at face value. Encourage one another. Well, tally-ho, chaps. You know. Make sure everyone's got a stiff upper lip. Go around church saying a good word here and there. But after consideration, you know, we are talking about the end of the world. And therefore, what this is saying is, don't live the Christian life in isolation. You have the great privilege of living Christians with one another. You get to do church with one another. And church is an armory where day after day, week after week, I come, I strap on my armor again. I encourage the brothers and sisters who are feeling low. We strap it on together and we wait. Because the day of the Lord will come. Let's pray. Almighty God, judge of all the world. We believe this as your church, that the day will come. We pray you'd help us to be ready, not calculating when, but amending our lives. We pray we'd be people who encourage one another to put on faith and love and hope while we wait for our Lord Jesus. And though an awesome day, though an intimidating day, what a day that would be to see him fully and finally come. To see our Lord face to face and to see justice in all the world. That's what we long for. And it's in his name that we dare to pray. Amen.